0: Happy Christmas Eve, an early Merry Christmas, on behalf of the Solomon family, on behalf of the Just the News family, on behalf of all of the folks who make the John Solomon Reports podcast possible, and the Just the News No Noise television show. It's a great team of people, and each one of us sends a heartfelt blessing and wish that this Christmas season will be among your most favorite and most blessed, that you will be blessed with good friendship and fellowship an opportunity to embrace your family, good food, maybe some from Omaha Steak, our good friends at Omaha Steaks, and the time to reflect and embrace and appreciate all that God has given you and your family among your friends in this great country of America. Yeah, we've got a lot of problems, but Christmas is also a time to remember just what an amazing country we still live in, the liberty and freedoms we still have, though we have to fight a little harder for them now. This is still the greatest governing experiment ever known to mankind, a nation built under God. And on this holy holiday season this weekend, we are reminded of the great bond that our faith in liberty, our faith in God has created in this incredible country that is the United States of America. So Merry Christmas early from all of us at Just the News. And as we ease into the holiday, yeah, those are some jingle bells in the background. We've got an incredible incredible lineup for you today. We're going to start off with the soon-to-be chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, Jim Jordan. He's got some big news for you, starting with the idea, and this is important. He and Kevin McCarthy, probably the two most important voices on this, they're ready to launch a church-style committee investigation of the FBI, the Justice Department, the abuses of the intelligence community against American citizens. He's going to talk about that the incredible revelation that we had earlier this week about Devin Nunes and his staffers being spied on by the Justice Department. And of course, all of that censorship that we're talking about. And remember what we broke a couple days after the Devin nunes Cash Patel spy story. Nancy Pelosi didn't give us the truth. She did. Her team did have a role in crafting the failed security plan. That let us all down on January 6th. Again, the bad actors of January 6th are the people who committed the crimes. But the prevention capabilities, the intelligence failures, there's something we need to learn from. Nancy Pelosi wouldn't own up, and so we couldn't have an honest conversation with it. Now we've got the goods, and Jim Jordan will talk about that. Then we're going to have Andy Biggs come in. He's challenging Kevin McCarthy. What's at stake in the speakership race in the House Republican Caucus? What can we expect the Judiciary Committee, where Andy Biggs is a member, to deal with? A lot of great conversation with him. And then we're going to head down and talk back-to-back to to two extraordinary attorneys generals, people who on the front lines are making a difference every day, Um, Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton fighting the border wars, fighting to empower parents, fighting to rescind overreach by the Biden administration. He's going to bring us up to speed on all of his cases, including what's going on at the border. It was his petition that got the Supreme Court to put a temporary block on Title 42's rescinding. That was a historic case. And then Indiana Attorney General Todd Rikita, well, he's always on the front lines of some really amazing things, including going after TikTok. He's one of the great states' rights advocates who are showing how states can have an impact on the China espionage, China intrusion problem. And then finally, we're going to finish out the night with my good friend and Congressman Austin Scott from the great state of Georgia, one of the most important voices in Congress. He has a lot to say about Ukraine, the Zelensky visit, the revelations about Nancy Pelosi, the revelations about the FBI, the Justice Department, and what 2023 is likely to bring to us. That is a great lineup to go into this important Christmas holiday weekend. And so we're going to get started. I'll take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back with our exclusive interview with... Congressman Jim Jordan, soon to be chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, where so many of the oversight issues we've all been talking about, they're gonna land there next year. Hey folks, have you heard of cancer-fighting foods? The American Cancer Society discovered diets rich in fruits and vegetables may actually lower your risk of cancer. Think about that for a second, that's really important. Hopefully you hear this and run to the store for five servings of fruits and vegetables every day.
1: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
0: This week on this show, we've been able to break two very big stories. The uh, Justice Department's spying on Devin Nunes and the House Intelligence Committee staff in 2017. And today, that extraordinary report revealing that Nancy Pelosi and her staff were in on the bad security plan that failed on january 6th a man who's at the middle of both of those investigations joins us right now he's the next chairman of the house judiciary committee the great congressman from the state of ohio jim jordan congressman great to have you on the show sir good to be with you john thanks let's start with that revelation your colleague devin Nunes was being spied on at least his staff
2: was yeah. by the justice department grand jury subpoena your thoughts on what was going on there just just when you think it can't get any worse, it does. I mean, I, I've said I think you you said this as well, John. Uh, you know, when when we look at all this stuff, you go back to the Mueller investigation, all the stuff the Democrats did. The only thing we had wrong in all this is it was worse than they thought. They were actually, according to what Devin said uh, last week in an interview, looking at his lawyers, communication, looking at his staff's communications. I mean, this is frightening. And never forget the time frame. This was right when it was the fall of 2017, right when Devin was putting together that memo, that memo that was going to show the dossier and all the stuff they were doing with uh, the Trump-Russia investigation was all built on a bunch of baloney. He was putting that together and, the, and it was and it was kind of being slow walk. They were trying to get approval of everything. But while he's putting it that together, that's when they're spying on Um, on his staff. And as Devin said, his lawyers. So um, that just goes to show you how political that Justice Department has become and why we need to expose it all. Because I always say the first step in stopping it is to make sure everyone knows exactly what went on.
0: I want to let me just follow up if I could Amanda just real quickly. sir. I want to ask, are you specifically going to investigate this? Will you drop subpoenas? Will you compel people like Rod Rosenstein to tell us
2: what he was doing there? We haven't discussed that yet, but this definitely falls under this broad umbrella of how political the Justice Department has become over the last several years. Um, You know, whether it's the school board's issue, whether it's their involvement with with the social media companies in the run-up to the presidential election in 2020, or whether it was what they did with spying on President Trump's campaign, the Mueller investigation, Rosenstein making this decision to allow this spying on Devin Nunes' staff to take place. All that's part of it. So yeah, we'll look into it. We don't know the specifics Yet of how that that part of the investigation would proceed
3: congressman you and a handful of your colleagues have been in communication with whistleblowers and since the hope is that courage is contagious i would assume that those conversations are ongoing with maybe even more whistleblowers are you concerned that these conversations are being spied or listened in on
2: well, we hope not. Uh, and again, that would be a direct violation of the law as well. If, you know, with FBI agents that come to us and take whistleblower status, they're protected by the law. But it, it does make you wonder. I think it's a fair question, uh, particularly in light of that memorandum that the attorney general sent out earlier this year. After a number of these whistleblowers that come to us and come to Senator Grassley and Senator Johnson, they put out that memorandum like, oh, now be here are the rules if you're going to talk to Congress. So that's that's frightening stuff. Um But I think these whistleblowers understand how political that place has become. They were willing to come talk to us because, A, they know they can trust us. And, B, and most importantly, they know how bad it is over there. That's why they came forward in the first place.
0: Yeah, such important investigative work you guys are doing, Congressman. Uh, Nancy Pelosi looked into a camera in February of 21 and said, "I have nothing to do with security. I have no power over it." Today, you and four colleagues put out an extraordinary report showing her team was directly involved in the security planning, even editing some of the documents for the security yeah. plan. Does she have to answer to her, to the Congress for what she did and yep. lied about?
2: Remember that one email, too, where they talked about the optics of having the National Guard's presence here and, and the proper security posture. Uh, and as you go back and look at the communications, there is this pattern that develops where the sergeant of arms is meeting with, with Pelosi's staff. Many of those meetings, Republican staff wasn't allowed to be there, but they had this pattern where everything had to be run through her office, her staff, before the sergeant of arms could make a decision. So much so that even he, he was able to call out the National Guard, but he wanted to run it by Pelosi's office first. First, uh, That's, I think, the pattern that emerges. So, yeah, the, the reason there wasn't a proper security presence on that day goes right to the speaker's uh, staff and their speaker's office.
3: Well, and Congressman, so many of these ex- explosive elements, they were not part of the January 6th committee hearings or their investigations. Wouldn't this information be pertinent to the American people?
2: Of course it would, but this thing was political. Everyone knows. Anyone with common sense, anyone who's logical and looks at this January sixth committee, knows this thing is political. First time in American history. We've talked about this many times, but first time in American history, the minority leader was not allowed to put on a select committee. The individuals he or she had selected um, never happened before in the history of our great country. And we caught we caught these guys in so many misleading statements, so many lies. And again, we caught them in lies, and we didn't get to be in the in the depositions. We didn't get to see the the transcripts or the or the evidence that they had, and yet we were still able to show that they were lying to the American people. They caught them in two about me, uh, one in particular. So think about this: they play at a at a, at a January sixth committee hearing. They play a video clip where I'm doing an interview, and I said January sixth in the video clip. January sixth is the ultimate date of significance in a presidential contest. Well, what they left off was the first part of that statement where I said. The late Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg said January 6th is the ultimate date of significance in a presidential contest because that's when it ultimately gets decided and the electors get approved by the Congress. So that completely changes its meaning. But they put it out there. It's a lie when they do it. And we caught them in countless numbers of those kind of examples. So the country knows that this thing is all political. It's always been political. It's just one more way to go after President Trump and Republicans. But I think the vast majority of the nation sees it for what it is
0: disinformation, deception, lying, and now censorship. What we have learned in the last few weeks, thanks to Elon Musk and the uh, the Elvis Chan um, uh, deposition, the FBI had told us, hey, we only intervene when we're trying to stop Russian disinformation. We now know they're censoring Americans, paying Twitter yep. to do so, giving security clarity paying to them. people. Your thoughts about what needs to stop? How are you going to stop the FBI from continuing no,
2: to censor well, us? We're go- we're going to focus on this. We're maybe even looking at a at a, at a church style committee uh, to a uh, uh, church commission style committee to, to to look at this. But you're you're right. They were paying the FBI. I mean, giving security clearances. And what I really want to see, John, is these these ten messages that Elvis Chan sent the day after the the Hunter Biden story oh, yeah. uh, is is public. This this teleporter. I guess these are some kind of direct messages he can send that are some kind of secure a- app. I want to see what was those ten documents. What was he saying to the to the uh, to the FBI then? Literally just two weeks before our presidential election. So um, you know this is this was a this was an information operation a misinformation operation run by big government and big tech against we, the people. And they did it before the most important election we have. And that is not supposed to happen in this great country, but it did. Again, that's why we have to expose it so that it never happens again.
0: Well, one thing I'm certain of, I've watched you in action for a long time, sir. The people who have the information, they will be giving it up to you. You are relentless and we're grateful for that. I want to wish you an early Merry Christmas. Thanks you for too. joining us, sir.
2: Merry Christmas. Thanks, guys.
0: and protect your most important asset, the equity, in your home. All right, folks, as we draw near to another critical election, it's not only about casting your vote, it's about elevating your voice, making your voice be heard. AMAC is more than just a senior discount organization. They unite like-minded patriots like you and I, committed to preserving our cherished values and actively opposing the leftist agenda that's sweeping across America. Just look at their recent victories. AMAC members helped to push forward in investigation into practices that inflate drug prices. They successfully defeated ranked choice voting in order to protect traditional voting methods, and they have also helped block a federal takeover of elections. The key member on the House Judiciary and Oversight Committees and a man running to be the next speaker of the United States House. He is Congressman Andy Biggs from the great state of Arizona. Congressman, great to have you on the show.
4: Thanks, John and Amanda. Uh, happy holidays. Merry Christmas to you. It's good to see both of you festive as you can be.
0: <laughs> and good to have you on our last show before Christmas. What an honor. Um, I, I want to get to the leadership race, but I want to step back from this $1.7 trillion deal that uh, Mitch McConnell does with the Democrats, because one of the great opportunities House Republicans had was to use the power of the purse in the first year to leverage the sort of accountability that needs to be leveraged after all of the things we've learned. That has been been removed from your arsenal you're not gonna be able to use anything in the budget until the next budget year uh, end of September next year how big a loss is this for oversight and accountability for the brand new House uh, Republican majority
4: it's it's huge because the budget is a constitutional check we all hear about checks and balances but it is the constitutional check given to the House of Representatives and so when that goes away that means that we lose all, about 90% of our check but I want to point out something else that is really concerning to me and actually some some other members of these two committees that I was talking to on the floor today. What what it boils down to is this when you bi- give the FBI when they are a target of our investigation and you give them all raises big raises and then you also build them buildings uh, 500 million dollars worth of new buildings et cetera what incentive is there now for them to come in and comply with our our subpoenas our requests uh, for documents or anything else they're going to be slow walking it they're going to be very hard to get to and and you know what they didn't get held accountable at all instead for their misconduct they got rewarded and so I think you've got two levers that have been taken away from us effectively and so we're going to have just a sliver of power. And uh, we're gonna have to use that as effectively as we possibly can. Yeah, so important.
3: Yeah, and I I know you absolutely will. Um, I wanted to ask you, present company excluded because here you are working the Friday before Christmas. But for a long time, Americans have felt like some members of Congress don't really earn their pay. And you gave us a startling number before we came to air, 194 Republicans who voted by proxy. I mean, I guess I understand you can't let the business of the American people get in the way of your Christmas parties.
4: (laughs) Well you know it, to me it's absolutely uh, incredible i understand there's a lot of cold weather etc that we that people didn't want to uh, venture out into but it's our job this is why we ran we all work real hard to get elected and one of the main, most important things you do is come to vote and when roughly half of the people don't show up to vote on a nearly two trillion dollar spending bill you have to wonder uh is this place so broken that it can never be rehabilitated? And I think that's not the case, but I think it takes a whole lot of work, uh, Amanda and, and John, because I, I tell you to sit there on the floor and I vote and then I watch uh, all these people lined up to vote by proxy and listening to uh, some colleagues carrying as many as 10 proxies. You just go, what, why, why did you even run for Congress?
0: Yeah. yeah, such a great question. The, the effort is just not there. Congressman, um, you're uh, turned what a lot of people thought was going to be a coronation of Kevin McCarthy into a real race and a real debate for the heart and soul of the House caucus, the House Republican caucus. Tell us the state of that race as we head into the holidays. And is there any scenario where Kevin McCarthy can make the sort of concessions that would get you and others on board? Or has that train left the depot?
4: Well, um, for me is he's not going to be able to make those concessions because that would mean that I would, I would, um, be betting on the come, if you will, that, that I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for him to perform. Right. In all scenarios, everybody who votes would have to vote and, and hope that Kevin performs with whatever promises he has made to those individuals. Uh, for me, that's just simply not good enough. Uh, especially as we watch what's happened with the, with with even the omnibus we were talking about this literally months ago we have to make demands on the senate the senate can't do it and he didn't he didn't perform there and didn't perform on the ndaa the way we wanted even a year ago so that for me it's it that's it's it's a bridge too far now to come back and you waited too uh it'd be too little too late and i just want to say john and amanda there in when we start talking about scenarios and speakers Uh, his his team and you know the conservative Inc I guess I'd call it they're out there saying well we could get a Democrat what people need to understand is that the rules are constructed as in this majoritarian self-governing body they're designed to facilitate the majority electing a major uh, someone from their majority to become the speaker. That is to say, they're not designed to to facilitate anybody from the Democrats in this instance in January of 2023 to become the speaker. They're designed for the Republicans. In order for, so, so the Democrats not gonna be a speaker. So the next question is, is Mr. McCarthy willing to cross the aisle and try to recruit Democrats to vote for him for speaker? And would that push people off and say, look, we don't want Uh, 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 someone who's this compromised speaker. We want someone who's, who is a Republican to be the speaker. I, I think that is so critical to understand because so much misinformation has been put out there about that.
3: Yes. And I I think that that had a lot of people scratching their heads when folks were saying, oh, if we don't vote for Leader McCarthy, then we might get a Democrat. And a lot of people were confused about that. So thank you for clarifying. I wanted to shift gears to January 6th, this report by Republicans, a lot of explosive details that came out earlier this week, uh, including what seems to be some falsehoods stated by Speaker Nancy Pelosi. How do you hold her accountable next year?
4: Well, we have got. We've got to get all the documents, and I think you guys are are, are responsible for, for really helping to break uh, some of that story. But you have documents. We've got to get more documents, and hold her accountable. Bring her in. Uh, as, you know, this is where it's really difficult. I mean, I've been referred to ethics because I wouldn't go in. I don't think she's going to come in. I don't think we're going to be able to get her in. So what we're going to need to do is is uh, pull the evidence uh, from the people like the former. Um, uh, Sergeant at Arms, the former uh, chief of Capitol Police, have them come in and talk to us about what happened there. And my understanding is that there's there's uh, documents that are, are probably already in uh, the hands of some committees on Congress. We need to get hold of those and, and go forward from that. I think that would lead us to understand where she is and hold her accountable.
0: And also to make sure, I mean, one of the things when you read that report that your great colleagues did, the mindset of the Capitol Police and the security apparatus around them was simply not dialed in. There's a moment like the day before January 6th where there's a plane threat. Uh, There's some terrorist threat of a possible plane crashing in. And they don't even tell the members. The members find out about it in a news post. It didn't seem like there was the mentality to be on the alert all the time there. I want to ask you about nancy pelosi herself uh, she stood in front of the cameras and said i had nothing to do with security and for 18 months she got away with that because people like the associated press had headlines and truth checks that said everyone like you who were saying she did have a, a, a hand in this that you were called uh, truth deniers you were, you were called you were lying we now know her staff was directly involved the media and nancy pelosi kept that false story alive for 18 months your thoughts about that collusion that goes on there
4: well, it, it, to me, it's it's disgusting, uh, but it but it's consistent with, with the weaponization of the media against um, conservative voices. They view us as uh, less than human, quite frankly, and so they will they do not mind they do not mind uh, telling a lie and repeating that lie, even though the media knows it's not true. And and um, we've got some people in Congress they, they simply call it spin. I don't call it spin. Um, I I think we if if we're open and transparent, let's just be honest and say what's going on and and take accountability and responsibility. And they refuse to do that. Well, the media should be held accountable as well. Um, And and everybody involved, uh, you know, they're promulgating a story so they can craft a narrative so they can attack people for political purposes. That's what's wrong with them with this place.
0: All right, folks, it's time for a Texas two-step. When we come back, Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton here to talk about all of the litigation going on, particularly that affecting border security, right after these commercial messages.
3: Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Welcome back, everybody. Joining us for a great discussion on the Southern Border Supreme Court victories and more is Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton. He joins us now. General, thank you so much for coming back and uh, being here with us.
5: Hey, glad to be back. Merry Christmas.
3: Merry Christmas. And I want to start at the southern border. This week, Title 42 uh, was set to end. But Americans have you to thank for petitioning the Supreme Court. They issued a stay uh, effectively temporarily keeping in place Title 42. If it had been lifted, the disaster at the border would have become uh, even worse. What do you expect to happen now?
5: Look, you know, the, hopefully the Supreme Court will rule in our favor on the merits in the end, uh, because we believe that the Biden administration did not properly go through the process of, of changing Title 42. Of course, we've been experiencing their, their way of dealing with things for the last two years, and that's really the problem. That's why we have such a huge problem on the border, because we've got an administration that's done everything possible to dismantle what was put in place to protect the American border.
0: Yeah. And you've had uh, two wins, really, in the last week. You got that injunction uh, from the Supreme Court, from John Roberts, the chief justice. But last week you got the, the case on Remain in Mexico remanded back. Those two tools together are probably the, the two best things that the federal government has right now to deal with this. Do you think both are going to be sustained and we're going to have those in our quiver soon?
5: Look, I, I, I certainly hope so. We need them. Without Remain in Mexico, I mean, that's the, 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 the rule, the, the exception that swallowed the rule, because basically everybody knows, that because the Biden administration made it very clear to the cartels, you bring these people to us. They don't have to hide anymore. They can, come, they can come be dropped off, and all they have to do is issue the magic word or say the magic word, and they say asylum, and they're in. And they get sent all over the country, and that's that's a huge problem. It's it basically just you know ends all ends all rules and, and laws as it relates to protecting our border. Yeah.
3: General, I want to ask you about something else that's really concerning, especially to gun owners, law-abiding gun owners here in America. You don't typically think about shipping partners like UPS and FedEx as folks who would fight against American citizens' rights to keep and bear arms. But here we are. They are targeting FFLs. I'm sorry, what? What is this?
5: Yeah, this is pretty crazy. We sent out some, uh, they're called civil investigative demands, to ask both uh, FedEx and UPS the same questions, which is, what? why are you doing this? All of a sudden, both companies have decided to force gun manufacturers to basically register with them what they're sending, what parts they're sending, basically all the information that a federal government might want if they were trying to have a, an official registry, which is something the federal government can't do, but it may be that they're doing it indirectly through these companies, much like they've, the FBI and others have worked with uh, social media companies to limit First Amendment rights.
0: Yeah. Outsourcing the job of uh, taking away our liberties and uh, infringing our rights. How about that? Amazing.
5: I think they, uh, John, I think they call it workarounds. I mean, I've heard them say yeah. it's a workaround. Yeah. That's you know, we, it. we work around, it's a workaround to the Constitution. They, they're they're inconvenienced by the fact that they can't The federal government can't limit your First Amendment or your Second Amendment or other other rights in the Constitution. So they're using corporations as, as sort of front men or front offices to run their directives to do exactly what they would do in other countries like China or Venezuela or whatever country you want to name that doesn't have, uh, doesn't have a constitution to protect them.
0: Yeah, such a great point, and we're seeing it more and more. When you get through that investigation, do you suspect at the end of the day you're going to see some federal intervention, some Biden administration fingerprints on this plan that was being uh, adopted by FedEx and UPS?
5: Well, look, it's an investigation. I don't know, but I will say this. I, nothing would surprise me. I've seen it. We've already seen it with uh, with uh, the, the Biden administration using a social media companies to limit what people can say about COVID, what they can say about uh, the elections, what they can say about any controversial issue that they want to limit Americans from talking about. And these social media companies have clearly gone along with it. And I think Elon Musk has highlighted a lot of that over the last couple of months. I think it's been the great exposure for what's actually going on yeah that it has
3: Yeah. And and I want to touch back on something you said a moment ago about these workarounds, because you look at the political landscape and it seems like Democrats have become very creative at these workarounds. It's not just the Second Amendment with UPS and FedEx. It's ESG scores that are infecting corporations across the board. It's suppression of free speech with stories on social media. They have they are very good at finding ways to unconventionally suppress Americans' rights. Um, How do Republicans get better at Fighting this, or maybe maybe they just need to, you know, if you can't beat them, join them, and figure out ways to be creative themselves.
5: Well, there's nothing wrong with being creative, but the problem with the the, the Democratic Party and the Progressives is they're not. In, it doesn't bother them to work around laws like our, our 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 constitutional laws, our federal laws. The Biden administration spoke out the very first day and said we're not we're not going to deport anybody, which means we're not following federal law. We're not following our constitutional role. As as people that love freedom, um, we're bound by those laws, we're bound by those those constitutional rights and we'll fight to protect them. And that gives us it does give us a huge disadvantage because we're confined by the law, by truth, by decency. And if you're not confined by those three things, you have a lot of tools um, you know, that you can use to, to undo all the things that we care about. And I think largely that's what's going on.
0: Yeah, there's no doubt. You know, I've been a reporter a long time, and I've always checked the state's attorney general sites. But I tell you, today, you have to do it every day. There are a dozen uh, AG sites, yours among them, that I check two times a day because you now, the AGs, the state AGs, are the greatest offenders of uh, liberty right now, the greatest defenders against government overreach, you're really asserting federalism and state rights in ways that I think is historic. You just had a big lawsuit. You sued the Biden administration to defend religiously affiliated adoption agencies from federal the federal government's sexual orientation and gender identity roles. Again, another place where freedom of expression and religion was being um, infringed upon by the federal government. Tell us a little bit about that case and why it's so important.
5: Well, it's really important because we want uh, as many opportunities for children to be adopted as possible, and they should not be discriminated against these organizations, whether they're Catholic or Protestant or Jewish or whatever. It doesn't matter. They ought to to be able to use their services to provide a place for these children. And if there are rules um, put forth by the Biden administration that have no basis in federal law or any basis in the Constitution, they shouldn't be able to force those on the states. And so we are fighting back and saying, no, you can't push those made up rules that you made up in your administration that are not in any federal law to somehow limit our ability to allow religious organizations who have different views on, on some of these issues related to gender, they shouldn't be uh, eliminated from the process of, of adoption. Yeah,
0: an important message.
3: Absolutely. I want to shift gears to a, a another letter that you sent, a multi-state letter, um, a, a petitioning. Regarding the vaccine mandates, you know, at the beginning of the of covid, we we saw healthcare workers boosted up and, and propped up as as heroes, which they were. They were on the front lines. They were treating patients as best they could. Uh, and these heroes went from from that respect and that reverence to getting fired because they didn't get the vaccine. Uh, talk to us about uh, your your petition to the federal government to uh, to reverse that.
5: Yeah, so it's a travesty, really. I mean, we, we had lawsuits related to OSHA requirements for every employee to, to get the vaccine, and we won that. We've had others related. We've got one going now uh, trying to protect our National Guard from, from, and stop them from being forced to get a vaccine or lose their jobs. It just, it's it's in these federal, these uh, these workers, these healthcare workers, they are heroes. They are doing great things, and they should have their own, they should make up their own minds about whether they want to get vaccinated or not. And not be forced uh, by the federal government that has no statutory or constitutional authority to impose that, uh, and force them to make a healthcare decision that they don't want to make. Then certainly these healthcare workers are knowledgeable about the issue, and, and probably as knowledgeable as people in the federal government, and should ultimately make their own choices. And we'll defend that right um, to the, to the bitter end.
0: So we're only got about 30 seconds left, but I wanted to ask about this, all that we have learned about big health in the federal government and the Fauci's and big pharma. Uh, what is the message that Americans need to know about how they can make informed consent when they're not always getting the truth from their government?
5: Look, I think first, first I'd just say you can't trust what the government says. You have to do your own research. You, I don't even think you can trust these big corporations that now you know manage our healthcare. They're not about taking care of you. And so you've got to do your own research. you got to figure it out talking to as many experts as you can, because you certainly can't trust the federal government.
0: All right, we've got a double dose of Attorneys General. That's right. Up next, right after the commercial break, Indiana Attorney General Todd Rakita, a guy who's been going after TikTok, creating some really important litigation and lawsuits that empower the people of Indiana, empower states' rights and federalism, just like Attorney General Ken Paxton is doing for the Texas. He'll be joining us right after this
1: commercial message.
0: Joining us right now, Todd Rakita, the Attorney General from the great state of Indiana. General Rakita, great to have you back on the show.
6: Hey, John and Amanda, great to be back
4: with you.
0: So I want to ask about that breaking news. Uh, You have been arguing for a long time that every state's a border state now because of the Biden open border. The idea that John Roberts intervened, your reaction on the Title 42 decision just a few minutes ago.
6: Yeah, thanks. I've been sitting in this chair waiting to go on, so I have not read a lick on on what just happened. So a little bit of grace there, please. Uh, And Indiana has three lawsuits going on regarding the border. Uh, So we're pretty inland here uh, in the Midwest, but we understand that every state's a border state for sure, just like you said. So uh, setting aside this idea that the Supreme Court and one justice stops congressional intent, Okay, which could very well be argued, something I wouldn't be for. We directly elect our lawmakers to make and suspend laws, not the Supreme Court. So that aside for a minute, I guess my reaction to this, and it may be a little bit contrary to some of the other uh, narrative that's out there from, uh, from, from more conservative outlets, but it's this. The Biden administration is lawless. They are not enforcing the border at all. 40, US 42 or not. So maybe there's a, uh, an uptick increase if, if 42 was suspended. Um, but really the problem is that we have um, a rogue administration who is fundamentally against American exceptionalism and therefore against America because they do not believe in the rule of law. This idea that we need some kind of mass amnesty or comprehensive immigration form, as easy as that argument was to see coming, is separate and apart, it's apples and oranges. I don't care if you think the law, our laws are good, bad, or indifferent, they are to be followed. And when you categorically allow people into this country uh, who don't believe in the rule of law whose their first act, the act of coming to this country is to break the law that is a fundamental problem and you have an administration aiding and abetting that, aiding sex trafficking, aiding fentanyl uh, that's killing thousands and thousands of Americans daily. You have an administration doing all those things, uh increasing crime this idea that are these illegal aliens they're not migrants. Okay. They're illegal aliens. They are breaking the law to get air. This idea that they're coming in uh, because they just want to work hard and assimilate into the American culture is a fantasy. I've been down to the border three times. These are single males who were criminals by and large in their home countries. And now they're coming to take from America. They're coming to harm. I can't say categorically everybody. I'm not an absolutist. But even the families that you do see on TV that are coming aren't necessarily coming here to work hard and assimilate and have American values. They're here to come for a lot, in many, many cases, for social programs that they can't get in their own countries. We have got to stop this. We need an administration. We all, as Americans, need to believe in the rule of law. And that fundamentally is the problem here. The rule of law is not being followed, Title 42 or not.
0: Good point. Well,
3: and if you've been to the border three times, that's three times more than our president has. And, you know, the border is is a nice. very obvious danger to our country. But something that's a little more subtle uh, is social media and platforms like TikTok, who you are suing. And I know one of the biggest concerns is uh, the content that's on there and how harmful it can be to TikTok's largest demographic which is young people and you know I'm here in Los Angeles it's 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 movie land since the 1940s the Motion Picture Association has had ratings for movies of some sort and I look at the content that that is supposedly on TikTok and a lot of it is it, it would get an R rating how has this been allowed to flourish on TikTok for so long and what do you expect to transpire from your lawsuit
6: oh, thank you we got Amanda we have two lawsuits going they both though Uh, center around Indiana's Deceptive Consumer Sales Practices Act. So uh, like many states, we have a state law that recognizes the inherent immense power of the American consumer. And we protect the Indiana consumer in that regard. One of the things you can't do is operate a business that deceives consumers. That's exactly what TikTok and their parent company, ByteDance, is doing. ByteDance being controlled by the CCP. Um, the first lawsuit has to deal with our best and most cherished assets, and that is our children. And you mentioned, Amanda, a rating of R. I would quibble with you only in this respect. That's on a, a good day. You see, at the age of 12 or older, because that's the recommendation TikTok says that you should have their app by the age of 12, you can, within minutes of joining up on TikTok, learn how to become a stripper. You can learn how to perform other uh, pretty graphic sex acts. You can learn how to get alcohol. You can learn the best way to get drugs. And then after all that, you can learn how to contemplate your own suicide and get that prepared. It's absolutely disgusting and it's sick. The garbage they're dumping into the brains of our young people. While at the same time, Chinese kids, get TikTok or their version of it too. But you know what's different? What's different is they limit it to 40 minutes and you can get STEM education on the Chinese version of TikTok. So think about that contrast. Now, that's not to say we don't have our own problems. We are destroying our best assets well enough on our own by the way we treat our own culture and the things that we're doing to our kids at school. Uh, but that aside, we don't need help from the CCP. It's hard enough to be a parent these days. No, you know, with a, we have a 14 year old boy and a 12 year old boy, so we get it. Um, but what's the deceptive, deceptive part about that, Amanda, is that no way should this app be available for a 12 year old. So we're suing on that front. That's a deceptive act to say this is okay for a 12 year old when it's barely okay uh, for a 50 year old, if that. Um, then on the second front, whatever your age is, they're stealing our data. They're stealing our metadata. Uh, not only is it a national security risk but it's also from a consumer standpoint again that's my lawsuits are meant to protect the consumer they don't tell us the fact they tell us the opposite they tell us they're not stealing our data yet we have evidence that points to the other, otherwise you know the chinese said that they will dominate the us and the rest of the world without firing one shot this is how they do it they they know what we're buying they know what we're gathering they know where we're going they know all kinds of things about us that can be used not only in a military, but in a economic uh, hostile
7: way.
0: Sir, I want to ask about another here. we got about a minute left. You are on so many issues. You're asserting state rights. You're one of those states that are challenging the student loan forgiveness uh, plan. Talk about the executive overreach here. we got about a minute left.
6: Well, yeah, that, that it's, you know, it's a, almost an embarrassment of riches, John. I mean, every week I get to sue the Biden administration for something, (laughs) Uh, you know, whether it's violating parents rights, calling them domestic terrorists, we got a lawsuit on that. And then in the education space, whether it's guarding against the department of education's push for CRT at social emotional learning, whether it's guarding against um, uh, this transgender craze that's going on, where they're, they're, they're trying to tell our kids that they're, not the sex that God has given them. And by the way, they don't have to tell their parents about it all the way to paying off student loans. You know, we all have to pay for that, John. That's obvious. There is no free lunch. And so, yeah, um, it was hard to get standing for the state of Indiana just because of the way our system was set up here in the state. My brother and sister uh, attorneys general who are like-minded are also leading that effort, but we stand united in fighting against the administration on these student loans. Uh, Because it's disgusting that we would just uh, and and well down the road to socialism again to say that that has doesn't be paid for by the people who took them out. But on so many issues, John and Amanda, the attorneys general of this of these United States, the state's attorneys general on the front lines.
0: All right, folks, we're going to head into the holiday with one more interview. Congressman Austin Scott, one of the most sage and trusted voices in Congress these days on everything from Ukraine and national security to food security to oversight.
3: Joining us now to discuss spending, geopolitical issues, and more is, lo and behold, another congressman who's actually doing his job and showing up to work the Friday before Christmas. He is Georgia Congressman Austin Scott. Thank you so much for being here.
7: Hey, Amanda. And I, I literally just texted my wife. I thought I'd be on a nine o'clock flight tomorrow, and then I saw Sidney Hoyer make the announcement. I'm like, well, check that. That didn't last long. I'll make, yeah, hopefully make it 12 o'clock. So we'll, we'll see what time they let us go. But, you know, certainly we have a responsibility to be here doing our job. And I think I think if you checked, the majority of Republicans are here and the majority of Democrats aren't. Isn't that amazing?
0: Well,
3: Sir, I, I certainly hope that you are able to make it home in time, not just for Christmas, but for Christmas Eve. But in the meantime, I wanted to get your impression of what was those 23 minutes worth of uh, speech by Volodymyr Zelensky earlier this week on the floor of Congress. Just your overall impression of it.
7: Yeah, I, I, I was glad he was here. And, and and let me tell you, I know there's a lot of discussion about what what's happening uh, with, with U.S. spending and, and how much money is going to the Ukraine right now. But but I want you to know, as a member of the Armed Services Committee, the, the Russians were never going to stop at Ukraine. If the Ukrainians had not put up the fight that they did, then the Russians would have moved through the Ukraine. They would have moved through Moldova. They would have then moved to Georgia. They already control Belarus. So, uh, you know, I feel very good about our support of Ukraine, uh, obviously without President Zelensky, uh whatever support we gave them would not have mattered he's one of the world's uh, great leaders right now and so he, he's pretty inspiring when he talks about freedom and and the purpose of the Ukrainian people and, and how hard they're fighting and what they're enduring and 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 the thing I want Americans to know is we as we uh, celebrate Christmas. You know, he he acknowledged Christmas, and I thought I thought that was a great thing to hear. The the leadership of a leader of a country acknowledge Christmas and the and the and the meaning it has to so many of us around the world. His people, you know, this this Christmas, many of them will be without power. Uh, they're going to be without food, and and yet they understand that they are fighting for freedom, and and it is. Our country, Americans, he was very appreciative of our support for his country because he knows that without the support of of, Amer- of America that his people would not have had the weapons to stand up to the aggression of Vladimir Putin. And, and if we're honest about what should have happened many years ago when Barack Obama was president of the United States, we shouldn't have sent them blankets. we should have sent them bullets and, uh, and we should have stopped Russia then. but, but I'm, I'm thankful we've got a great leader in, in the Ukraine now. That, that it that it and the Ukrainian people are now uh, they're putting up a fight and and you know what the Russians less than twelve months ago had what we thought was the third uh, most powerful military in in the world and and by gosh the Ukrainians with uh, some help from from American taxpayers and American weapons and our, our European allies have shown the Russians that you know, you don't just get to walk into a, a people that love freedom and, and run over them.
0: Yeah, that's such a great point. They have inspired the world to show that when you stand for values, you can actually do something. And- masked, I think, behind all the goodwill yesterday. And there was a lot of goodwill. It was bipartisan. I think people feel good that Ukraine has been able to achieve what it has. Is The idea that at the beginning of this conflict, Joe Biden had pretty much given up and basically told Zelensky, catch a plane, try to get out of there. We'll help you get out. And this man stood and fought. And when the president didn't send the bullets right, he said, don't send me a ride. <laughs> send me some arm ammunitions. Uh, Joe That's Biden right. was slow. You weren't. You were one of the first people behind uh, the U.S. getting in, in, in backing Ukraine and realizing the stakes. But the fact that Joe Biden was so slow and now there's a moment to potentially win. How do we define the victory? What is going to be the definition of victory for the United States and Ukraine in the moment we now are in against Russia?
7: Yeah, well, the Russians need to get off of other people's property. And what what people don't talk about a lot is that you know, the Russians are, are across the property, the property line, the, the territorial lines in Georgia, uh, they're across in, in other countries. And so it's not just about Ukraine. It's about the aggression of the Russian leadership and, and how we stop that. If they had simply been allowed to take Ukraine, uh, they, they weren't going to stop. They were, they were never going to stop at Ukraine. They were going to move, uh, they're already across the line in Georgia. Uh, my Georgia Guard has a great partnership with the country of Georgia. And so the, the win for the world is that Russia needs to get back into what the world identifies as Russia. And that means that they have to not only leave the Ukraine, but they have to leave other countries as well. And then let's get back to some, uh, some normalcy around the world. Uh, but until that happens, I think you're going to continue to see a tr- an, an extreme disruption. Uh, we talk about Ukraine and, and not having power. Uh, I will tell you, you know, it, it's not just Ukraine. It's all of Europe right now that that because of environmentalists and other things allow themselves to become dependent on uh, 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 gas coming from Russia or, you know, these these so-called green energy deals, which is no energy uh, technology and. And there there are a lot of our friends and allies that are gonna be experiencing a, a, a pretty tough winter right now, John. Yeah, they are, you're right
3: yes indeed and um speaking of taxpayer spending i wanted to ask you about this 1.7 trillion dollar omnibus bill uh, i think 16 billion dollars worth of earmarks have we gotten to the place in congress as far as spending that as these numbers creep up and up and as americans eyeballs glaze over that the number almost doesn't even matter anymore i mean just throw throw whatever you can in the bill and it's going to slide on through
7: yeah, it's not just the earmarks. It is what the earmarks are for. And so they are for the diversity, equity and exclusion initiatives of the of the Democratic Party and, and the radical left. And uh, I, I, to, I told a Democrat friend of mine today, I'm like, hey, I wish I would talk to some people who aren't activists on, on some of the issues uh, and, and maybe realize that the majority of the people that identify as a certain Um, Sexual orientation, uh, don't even agree with what you guys are doing uh, because you've gone so far with things. Uh, And I I think the the best example of that is the grooming in the classroom. Most gay people don't want their kids groomed into uh, something that they're not in the classroom. Uh, So there's a lot of stuff in this in the form of earmarks and other things that are very specific to not just areas of the country, but to a social ideology that that contradicts where the vast, vast majority of Americans are in this country. So it's a it's a it's a it's a big problem uh, in, in how much money is being spent. But the bigger problem and what's so dishonest about what. The Republicans in the Senate have done is they've agreed to this increase in spending with the Democrats in the House and the Democrats in the Senate, and they have not identified a way to pay for it. So they're going to pass this piece of legislation, and the worst possible thing that could happen to the country would be to adopt this piece of legislation without a debt limit uh, increase, unfortunately, in it to to pay for it because it's going to create— a potential debt crisis as we work forward into the, into the next year. So the worst possible scenario all along has been that you would adopt an omnibus bill without a way to pay for it and create a potential financial crisis in the next four to six months, which is exactly what uh, the Democrats in the House and the Democrats in the Senate and candidly many Republicans in the Senate agreed to. And so if, if they were gonna agree to the spending level, they should've just gone ahead and put the debt limit into it But they intentionally set up a fight next year. They intentionally set up a fight next year over the national debt with House Republicans. Well, I I can tell you, I personally believe that the national debt is the greatest threat to my children's generation. I've got one that's 23. I've got one that's seven, one that's five. Uh, my, My kids' generation... Is not going to be able to outrun that, and honestly, as a 53 year old, I don't think I'm going to be able to outrun it. So, when you increase spending, you increase inflation, and when you increase inflation, that gives the Fed one one choice to combat that inflation, and that is to raise interest rates. and And the continual raising of interest rates, along with the continual increases in in uh, in inflation driven spending or spending that drive that's driving inflation, I should say is that you're going to put, put intentionally put America into a recession.
0: All right, folks, that wraps up the Christmas Eve edition and the Christmas weekend edition of John Solomon Reports. We're going to take Sunday off, and we're just going to celebrate together with family and friends and embrace all that is good in this great country, all that is at the heart of the holiday Christmas experience. And so from my family to yours, may God bless you. May he give you a Christmas to remember a Christmas, to embrace all those that love us in our lives, all of us that support us in our professional lives, and all of us who make the Justin News experience possible. You, our family members in the Justin News family, make this product what it is today. You help us in our pursuit of truth and justice. And on this Christmas Eve, I want to thank you and ask God's blessing upon you and your household, your friends. Let this be a most blessed Christmas season for you. All right. We'll be back on Monday. We've got a really great special adapted from our television show uh, just a few days ago in partnership with Heritage Action for America. We have a special report, Cutting Spending Policies Worth Saving. Cutting Spending Policies Worth Saving. An honest discussion about getting America's fiscal house in order. We've got an all-star lineup starting with Florida Senator Rick Scott. That's right. He's Got a great track record of creating balanced budgets and fiscal sanity. We've got the director of the Grover. M. Herman Center for the Federal Budget, Matthew Dickerson, very sage voice on all things budget. The current chief financial officer for the state of Florida, Jimmy Petronas. This guy's making waves. He is showing what can be done to bring fiscal sanity to a government process that many people think is so broken. It can't be stable. It can be. And Jimmy Petronas is going to show us some of the winning examples coming out of Florida. Then Congressman Tom McClintock, long a voice of fiscal sanity, fiscal rational policy, common sense of policy. He's going to join us from the great state of California. And to round out the day, Heritage Action's own state advocacy director, Catherine Gonzalez, she's got the action plan that Heritage Action has put together for a more sane fiscal future for America. Certainly not the one that Mitch McConnell and Senate Republicans and Senate Democrats and House Democrats gave us on Thursday when they passed that extraordinarily expensive, earmark-ladened. trillion budget bill. All right, we're going to get to that special on Monday, and I hope you enjoy it. Until then, God bless you, and have a wonderful evening. Folks, everyone knows the next medical crisis is just around the corner, whether it comes in the form of a pandemic or something much more mundane like a tick bite.